Well, we're in the book of Philippians, so if you could turn there, Philippians 2, verse 12 through 18, and if you could stand for the reading of God's word. Paul continues his letter to the Philippian church. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Work out your own salvation. Now, alarm bells might be going off because we have work and we have salvation being brought together in the same verse. This isn't like you, Paul. What's going on? Well, Paul knows exactly what he's saying. He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul, of of course, knows our works don't save us. It was Paul who wrote Ephesians. God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. Paul is certainly not saying work for your salvation in this text. What he's talking about is how we work out our salvation. What Paul is referring to is this process called sanctification. So what what is sanctification? Well, our our confession defines sanctification this way. This is how it defines it. The work, it's the work of God's free grace. So we start with God's free grace. Whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. Sanctification means to be set apart for God's work, to live as we were originally created to live. Now, at the moment you become a child of God, you are set apart for holiness, obedience, and good works. Sanctification is a part of God's salvation plan for the believer. So let's talk very briefly, very quickly, about salvation for just a minute here. I think sometimes we're prone to think of salvation as that one-time event. It's the day when we placed our trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, when we, were, when we came to faith. I don't personally have an exact day for when I came to faith. I just have a time period of when I feel like I, I truly came to faith and trusted in God. It, it might be the date, though, that we put in front of our Bibles. And We often think, 
and we're prone to equate our salvation with only our conversion or justification. But God's work of salvation in your life is in fact an ongoing process. If you are in Christ today, you were saved, you are being saved even now, and you will be saved for all eternity. Salvation is this glorious process of God that begins in eternity before the foundation of the world and it ends in our glorification as saints of God dwelling with Him forever in paradise. We as Christians never graduate from the gospel. After coming to faith in Christ, it's not like we graduate and move on. In order to see where sanctification falls in though, so I want to take a a quick snapshot of what salvation looks like, kind of like a timeline, although God is not bound by time, a timeline of what salvation looks like for the believer. So you, you have election, and this is where God saw, in God's sovereignty, he chose some people to be saved, raised from death to life, and this happened before the foundation of the world. There is a calling where God summons his people to himself through the proclamation of the gospel. We're proclaiming it today. Regeneration is where God sovereignly imparts spiritual life to those that have been called. Dead men don't choose God. People who are alive. And this is a work of God. God gives life. And then there is a conversion which is our response to the gospel where we repent of sin and we place our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Then we come to justification. And this is an instantaneous legal act where God says, not guilty, in which he declares our sins are forgiven and God sees Christ's righteousness as our own. That is amazing. Being declared not guilty, we're then adopted, where he takes us as members of his family. And then sanctification arrives on the scene. This sanctification is a progressive, lifelong work of God and man that allows us to die more unto, unto sin and live under Christ. It's at sanctification we work out what God has put in us. We work out our salvation. But no one can boast in our salvation. All of salvation is a result of God's free gift of grace and mercy upon us through Christ Jesus. We can't even take credit for our faith. Even though we truly exercise it, it's truly ours, it was given to us with a guarantee that we would exercise it. So how about our sanctification? Well, if it's God and man working, can we take credit for that? Well, we we can't. All salvation is a work of God's free grace. We cannot take any credit for as the passage says today, it is God who is at work in you. So it begs the question, why do we even strive for holiness? I mean, come on, is it really that important given that we're covered by grace? Why do we need to strive for holiness if we're covered by Christ's imputed righteousness? What's the point? Well, Paul, Paul knows this question is coming. Paul's talking about grace. He's talking about how God works it out in our lives. And he knows someone's going to think that very question. What is the point of even trying, making any effort towards holiness if we're covered by grace? 
So he answers this question in Romans 6 beautifully. And he says this, what shall we say then? Because of grace, are we to continue in sin that grace may just abound in our lives? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, having been set free from sin, have become what? Slaves to righteousness. So now, so now, present your members as slaves to righteousness. This leads to sanctification. When Christ regenerates your heart and justifies you and you are, you are no longer a slave to sin, we've been liberated as children of God. And while, still, while sin still remains in us, we are now free to work out what God has put in us. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. We have been given the Holy Spirit who works in us so that we can be obedient to the commands of God. Jonathan Edwards says it this way, and I'm paraphrasing, modernizing it. He says this, It is much the nature of one that is spiritually newborn to thirst after growth in holiness as it is the nature of a newborn babe to thirst after their mother's milk. And I think he probably got that from 1 Peter 2.2, which says, Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation. Sanctification is not optional for the Christian. It's, It's not only a clear command of Scripture, but it is the certain fruit born out of a changed life. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16 says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He calls it ignorance. I love that. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Those who are justified will be sanctified, for this is the will of God. And this working out salvation is the fruit. I want you to hear me on this. It's the fruit of of our faith, not the root. This working out, the fruit of our faith, it's not the root of our faith. So we we ask another question. What is our role then? What do we do with growth and holiness? Well, progressive sanctification is not, on one hand, self-reliance, and on the other hand, it is not apathy. Now, I know a lot of people are fix-it people, right? We want to do it in our own strength. It's the motto, just do it. We want to just work harder. Men, our wives come to us with problems, and we'd rather not listen. We want to solve them ourselves. Wives, a lot of times I'm sure you want to say to your husband, yes, I've got a problem. You're the problem. And you want, wives, you want to be heart changers when only God can do that for your husbands. Sometimes we view our sins, especially those that are besetting us, And we seek to purge them from our lives through our own strength. I've got this, is our motto. But what self-reliant sanctification will lead to is either pride or just mere external change. 
or it will lead to despair. Pride will come when you think you're doing it all right. And of course, it's all about your glory when you're doing it that way. And then despair will come when you inevitably trip, fall back into your sin, and you're plagued once again by what you've done. On the other side, you have apathy. And this is also not an option for a Christian. We we are called to put on the whole armor of God. We are called to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And and we don't take a laissez-faire approach to our sin and our growth in God. Paul says, work out your salvation, not through your own strength. It is God who works in you to will and to work. Sanctification is not apathy. It's not self-reliant effort. It is human exertion wholly dependent on God. And it's hard work. It's hard work. Calvin says, it's arduous work of immense labor. It's continuous, it's sustained, it's strenuous effort. And we see the God-dependent effort all throughout Scripture. You take Noah. Noah was redeemed through faith in God, uh, a work of, of God in Noah's life. But he had a problem. A flood was coming. God commanded him to build a boat. Noah just didn't sit around and wait for the flood waters to come. He picked up a hammer and got to work. He didn't cut corners. He didn't design a fashionable sailing yacht that could hold a couple animals. He obeyed as his life depended on it because it did. He wasn't apathetic about God's commands. Paul once was at sea, and he was being dashed about in a storm, one of the many times Paul had trials. And he trusted God to keep him alive. In fact, an angel had even come to Paul and said, hey, Paul, you and the men you're with, you will not die. Now, for some of us, that might be the the greatest call to apathy. Okay, God says I'm going to live. I'm going to sit back and watch this. This will be good. But Paul, instead of apathy, he literally got up and got control of the boat. He said, don't, don't get off this boat. You will die if you do. And he managed the boat from there. He trusted, but he acted upon that trust. How about raising your kids? But they're covenant children, right? Are we called to just let them figure out life on their own with no training or guidance? Our twins would kill themselves in five minutes. The other day, my wife came out, and one of the twins had been tied to a tree, and the other one was running around, and the rope was just getting tighter and tighter. And they were having a blast, but they wouldn't last a day without exertion. They wouldn't last a day without discipleship and training. Looking at common grace activities for a moment, Christians and non-Christians alike exert themselves all the time. The things we love or feel are essential are the things we put effort into. We pour hour upon hour into our work, hour upon hour into gaining a new client, working hard to to get new business, to keep business, working hard around the house. We apply effort to get a result, but sanctification is different because our works and efforts aren't earning us a seat at the table. It's the outworking of our faith in Christ. It's an outworking of salvation that we already have. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's a changed heart that loves Christ and seeks to honor his great name and 
And then that follows with loving obedience. Paul, though, says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's up with that? What Paul is talking about isn't some terror that we're supposed to be in constantly. What Paul is talking about is reverence and awe type fear. It's the right type of fear. John Piper says this regarding this. We tremble at the prospect of distrusting God. We are to tremble at the prospect of distrusting God. Hebrews 12, 28 says it this way. Therefore, since we receive the kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. You've got the, the famous passage in Matthew 10, 28. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it says this. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy the body, both soul and body in hell, God. Why would that be your favorite verse? As Christians in Christ, having faith in Christ, do we have anything to fear? Going by this verse, we would have to say, no, there's nothing to fear, but yet, in Christ, we have no fear of hell. Yet, do we understand where we came from? It was spiritual death. Christ didn't know us anything. And yet here we are on Sunday drawing near to God and saying, look, look at the cross. Look what Christ has done for us. Look at this incredible grace and mercy. Stand in reverence and awe before God. Why would we want to continue dabbling in the devil's work? Why would we? So how do we cultivate spiritual disciplines? How do we do it? It's sometimes uh, sad because it's become a cliche almost because we hear it all the time. But we don't always apply God-dependent effort to getting into the Word of God, this book. 2 Timothy says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for training in righteousness, this book. All Scripture is profitable for growing in holiness. Babylon B is a website that is, uh, is all about satire. Some of you might seem to be very familiar. I know some of you read it. I know exactly who you are that reads it. It's, it's all satire. And, and so one, one of its articles that I think was very uh, honest in, its, in its, uh, the way it wrote the article said, it showed a picture of a man sitting by a closed Bible, and he was praying. And the, the headline was, man sitting literally three feet away from Bible asked God to speak to him. <laughs> we want God to speak to us, but we don't want to take time to read his word. The very means he chose to speak to us. We, we spend a whole lot of time praying for the will of God and, and moral, moral dis, morally neutral decisions. When the word of God gives us God's revealed will for our lives. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's God's will. Holiness, growth in the Lord, that's the will of God for our lives. Speaking personally, though, many times it's a whole lot easier to open up my email in the morning and get started, uh, by, you know, get started with a day. There's like this sense of fear of missing out or something. I've got to check the email. 
And then God's word sits on the shelf. The Bible says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the divisions of soul and spirit. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You want to get into what's in your heart, start reading the word of God. It's scripture we see how to put to death what is earthly in us and, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in God's word where we see the ultimate example of humility, of love. Look where Paul just brought us with the humility of Christ. The word says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. There is also this aspect of holiness where it belongs to the corporate body. We're all in this as Christians. And Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And, and, you know, we should never neglect meeting with one another. Iron sharpening iron, spurring one another on. What we're doing now with the preaching of God's word points to Christ, points to his will for us. Elders are here. We're not the religious police like an Iranian, uh, an Iranian force or something like that. We are here to watch over the flock to shepherd the flock, to guard the flock spiritually. If you have struggles or habitual sins you want to fight against, reach out to your elder. Reach out to a trusted brother and sister. Confess your sins that you may be spurred on to good deeds and sanctification. Don't do it alone. I have two brothers in particular who have poured into my life and they know how to call a spade a spade. They have pointed out blind spots in my life and, and have spiritually kind of smacked me upside the head when I was blind to some things in my life. That has been so, such a blessing. And I look at how God used those men in this, my pursuit of holiness. Praise God. April, my wife, has been one of the greatest encouragers to me in my walk of holiness. She's a true helpmate. I'm so grateful for her. There are many good books on sanctification. One is uh, Whole in Our Holiness uh, by Kevin DeYoung. Excellent book. Uh, one is just coming to the market. It says, How Does Sanctification Work? And it's by David Powelson, which is, I think it's going to be a phenomenal book. Daniel Ray actually sent me the link to that. Daniel, is there a reason you sent me a book on sanctification? What are you trying to say? Uh so there's many more spiritual disciplines, of course, and you will find them by mining the depths of Scripture and growing in prayer. You must continually be on your knees before God, asking Him to love what He loves and hate what He hates. This is that struggle. But here is a warning as we do this. Holiness is not just about rule-keeping, and it's not just about the external behavior. Rule-keeping like a Pharisee might lead to some great outward moral behavior. But the Bible is not focused just on the external, but goes right to the internal. We don't want to be just a moral church with moral families that do nice things, and everybody says, oh yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, and inwardly, we couldn't care less about pleasing God, and everything in us is just hidden it's a hidden mess not being worked out. We want to be a, a body who seeks to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind and are as such lights to a twisted world. We want our love to be genuine. 
We want the gospel to permeate our hearts and minds. That's why Paul exhorts us to do all things in obedience to Christ without grumbling and disputing amongst each other. Now, I keep my office clean and organized at all times. And and I am very, very blessed by my six wonderful children, average age four, and tr- but try as I might, try as my wife and I may, the house get wrecked, and we're talking about nuclear bomb-type destruction. And on a very rare occasion, very rare, very rare, I get irritable when cleaning up the house at night. So every other night, right, I get irritable. And, and so it's not like I have an OCD problem or anything. I mean, this, this is... This is uh, like vandalism that's taking place constantly. I'm not going to name any names, but the culprits are twins. Now, every night I get home, a new thing is broken. Blinds are ripped off. There's graffiti on the walls. The other day, the twins had plungers, and they were plunging our front door. The, the, the plungers were brand new. They were never used, thanks, thankfully. Uh, the reason we got the plungers was because Traveler goes around to all our toilets throwing in toys he doesn't like, and he does this in a very systematic process. So I have, I have real reasons to be irritable, lest you guys are judging me. And, and many times, I'm doing it with grumbling and complaining. Now, I'm technically serving my family, technically. I'm cleaning, right? Doing my, the job, not sitting around. But am I serving in love? Am I modeling Christ in those moments to my family? This is sanctification in progress. Now, the world is watching us, and we are to be lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that they may see our good works and give us not the glory, but the Father who is in heaven. It's all about his glory when people see our salt and light. Now, before I close, one word of comfort. One word of comfort from Scripture. Our lack of growth in Christ, I know, can be discouraging at times. But there is great comfort in this passage today. And you could almost miss it if I didn't point it out. For it is God who works in you to will and work for his good pleasure. God is pleased with our small works of righteousness accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit and for his glory. God is pleased. Jesus is a high priest. He sympathizes with your struggles. He knows the passions of the flesh and the world and the devil want to destroy you. He himself was tempted in the same way. Call out to him. We are his children. What a glorious reality. Thank goodness that our works do not justify us in the sight of God. We'd have no hope. But what a joy that the good works we do for his glory through his power, they are not filthy rags, but they're spiritual acts of worship. It's amazing grace that we're able to play a small part of his story of redemption, and he is happy with our struggling efforts. So in closing, what is the ultimate goal of all of this? What is the goal? Is it just to be obedient? Is it just to work harder in Christ? What is the goal? Paul gets it. Paul gets it. He says it beautifully in Ephesians. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth 
and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The goal is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To know God, to enjoy all His attributes, to understand what He has done for you and delight in Him as we obey Him and grow more like Him. Conform to the image of God's Son and in the end, on the last rung of salvation, glorification. To get to spend eternity in the presence of Christ where every thought, where every deed, where every word and action will be holy and completely sanctified. Let's pray. Father, we marvel in your salvation. We marvel in the work that you are doing in us so that we may work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we pray, Father, that we would be faithful to you, that, Lord, when we stumble, when we fall, that we would repent and that, Lord, we would turn to Christ and that we would continue pressing on towards the prize, the great prize of Christ Jesus and to spend eternity in glory with you. And Father, we pray, I pray for those in particular who are discouraged or apathetic or have been trying to work out their salvation on their own. And we pr- I pray, Father, that they would turn to you, saturate themselves in the word of God, and that, Lord, the, through the Holy Spirit, they might begin slowly but surely on the path to holiness for your glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.